0: Well, we're delighted to have brother malcolm cross with us today so we're, we're thrilled to uh, to have him with us and uh, malcolm's theme today is going to be christ in you the hope of glory and it's uh, going to be two two talks the first one in principle and the second one in practice so to introduce the first part uh, malcolm asked that we could we could read together from Paul's letter to the Colossians and chapter 1. So the first reading, Colossians chapter 1. And uh, Malcolm Stora, is going to read that for us, please. Malcolm. Reading from Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Thank you, Malcolm. That Malcolm. Uh, Now we turn to this Malcolm. And uh, delighted, as I said, to to have uh, Malcolm Cross with us. His theme, Christ in You, the Hope of Glory, and uh, the, the first part in principle. Malcolm.
1: Before we begin, quite a few people have already asked me how the family are, particularly Rachel, our eldest daughter, who came here to study 24 years ago. That might frighten some of you who remember her coming as an 18-year-old. It's amazing, isn't it? Where does time go? And I hate it at any fraternals not to go to a lot when the speaker stands up and comes out with all these personal things to link him with the Ecclesia. Do forgive me for that anyway. And uh, Rachel's all right, thank you. And uh, she lives in southwest Wales. Uh, She married uh, a a brother, um, the eldest son of a recording brother, one Ecclesia in Wales. And uh, she has two little boys and sends her regards to those who remember her. 24 years since this month, since we walked in this door with Rachel as an 18-year-old. Amazing. Where does time go? Somebody said to me the other day, you know what old is? Anybody who is more than 15 years older than you. Well, I am very old to some people, uh, old to others, (laughs) and uh, not quite so old, even young to perhaps one or two of you. The point is that what I want to do is to express thanks anyway been invited, and what I want to do is to do something realistic and beneficial. Not, I hope, a load of waffle. Because as I've got older, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Who'd ever thought me, who came in this hall at age 21 in 1961, would end up saying, well, I'm now in my 70th year, you know, and uh, what experiences have I got? I would like to say one thing before I get down to business, one other thing. It's about 15 years since I was last at Old Trafford speaking and in that 15 years a lot has happened in my life, a tremendous amount actually, not only to do with the family but my visits abroad, worldwide, including quite a lot for the CBM in Africa and India and these sort of things certainly influence you. The old Malcolm Cross who was a nitpicking, petty-minded, T crossing person uh, has now Uh, hopefully disappeared although in conversations afterwards you might find that surfacing again (laughs) well let's kick off by a very important thing, I'm going to ask Dave just to operate the OHP I've only got one for the first session and a few more for the second session this is a question for you and this is the starting point now that's a very serious question It's one that I have eventually evolved, using that word in the best sense, have evolved that question over the years, particularly as a result of of CBM work. It certainly altered my perspective on life and things and what matters and what doesn't matter. And when you are in a closed environment in one ecclesia or one area or just this country, it can certainly uh, put you on a restricted vision to what is important. And so that, that question is one that I want to use two or three times. I don't want an answer, but it's one you can ask uh, other people, having asked yourself. All I want to do today is to try to build you up and not break you down. I want to build up the body of Christ, to encourage the faint-hearted and to help the weak. I want... It says in Thessalonians, Paul said to encourage one another and build one another up in love. Because a statement is clearly made if we don't have the Spirit of Christ, we're none of His. That makes you quake a bit, doesn't it? If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. Where do we start then? Where do we start? What is it that God wants from us as the first priority quality? How do we prepare ourselves for this theme statement of the fraternal, Christ in you, the hope of glory? Well, God tells us that the most important human quality that he wants is, and I should be quoting a lot of scripture, we're not going to look a lot up, Isaiah 66, this is the man to whom I will look, he that is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Through Micah he says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, kindness, modern version, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, humble comes into it. In Philippians, Paul says, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Isn't it clear? Number one, humility. Well, how is Christ to be formed in us? Which is obviously so critical, as we read towards the end of that reading in Colossians 1. Are you pregnant? I don't want you to answer that but because seriously the question is we should be Paul says Galatians 4 Paul was in travail until Christ be formed in you just worth having a look at that actually in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19 we should be quite a bit in the in the epistles here because of Paul's comment on this major theme of Christ in you the hope of glory and there it is, Galatians 4 and verse 19. The background to Galatians and all the other historical things needn't worry us today, it's what is actually said. My little children, verse 19 of Galatians 4, with whom I am again in travail until Christ be formed in you. That is, the word formed is metamorphosis, origin. It is morphu. Uh, which necessitates a complete change in the spiritual sense, a change of character and conduct. Christ has to be gradually formed in us. It doesn't happen like that. It's like a fetus being formed in a woman's body. What are the lessons from pregnancy? Well, some of you know a lot better than I do, although I've seen at close quarters it three times. You have to be careful what you take in. You have to avoid harmful things, substances and harmful activities. You hopefully go full term or you can end up with a malfunctioning, malformed, premature child and you don't have to overdo it or get burnout, do you? But the pregnancy isn't to end in itself. Listen to some people, you think it is. But it isn't, is it? It is to produce the child. Till, in this case, Christ be formed in us. Christ revealed in us. The sufferings that we have in this life, whether you've got a lot or few, are nothing compared with the time when we shall see the Lord Jesus Christ, God willing, in his glory. What sort of harmful things do you take in? I quote, Jim was a young Christadelphian brother. He'd been baptised for a few years and was getting along well. This is a story, a true story from America. I know the brother that wrote this. He was getting on well, or so everybody thought. He was always coming to the meetings. He was an active member of the CYC. He organised youth weekends. He visited older members. He gave classes and was thorough in his study. But Jim had a secret life. He was in university and he lived on his own in a small apartment. During the course of the week he spent a lot of his time in strange company. He had an especially fondness for murderers, drunkards, but not just murderers. He also liked to be with the good thief, the other daughter and sometimes a fornicator. And in their company he often found himself wishing for strange things. For example... A long married couple each confessed to him that they were very unhappy with each other. They both longed long to be with somebody else and Jim wanted them either to get divorced or have affairs. Then there was a night when a son who'd been abused and beaten by his drunken father finally in a moment of rage and revenge hit and killed his father. Jim found his anger only satisfied when the sun had pulled the trigger. He enjoyed his strange friends so much that he began to invite CYC members over to see what they could meet them as well. It began to be a sort of an informal habit and the CYC members would gather at Jim's house for a good time. Sometimes they'd do the readings first, then they would enjoy the good intrigue with Jim's secret friends. Yes, he liked to watch Television. I'm sure you all got there before my closing statement. But is it? What do you watch? What do you listen to? What do you look at? What do you read? What do you feed your mind on? What is taking place in your pregnancy? Do you suffer much? Well, Paul certainly did, but Paul rejoiced in his sufferings look at the reading in Colossians that we had. Colossians chapter 1. We always obviously should look at the context. Time is going to run out if we look at every context, but here he is talking about rejoicing in his sufferings. Do you remember how he had been amazed at what he'd been doing to the body of Christ? But he says this, verse 24. 24. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and for my flesh. I'm reading, by the way, from the Revised Standard Version. I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, of which I became a minister according to the divine office given to me for you to make the word of God fully known to the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now manifest to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was a mystery beforehand. Before Christ came, that was a mystery. Some who understood about the Messiah saw where he fitted into Israel and the future. But to have Christ formed in you, the hope of glory, is just beyond comprehension. And it was a complete mystery to him before it actually happened so he says verse 28 him Jesus we proclaim warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Christ that was the whole purpose of Paul's life from now on to present every man mature in Christ is it ours and he finishes off by saying in verse 29 for this I toil Striving with all the energy which he mightily inspires within me. Christ operated directly in Paul. The principle is there. Striving with all the energy which he mightily inspires within me. Ardently contending, says the Diaglott, according to that energy of his which operates in me with power. Incidentally, I like the origin of words, etymology and so on. Have you ever thought about the origin of the word enthusiasm? When it clicked, I was so astounded. I went to Sheila Harris, a Greek expert, and asked her if it was true. You know, how could a, a novice like me come up with uh, such an idea? theos God in. That's the origin of the word enthusiasm. God in. And here's an example of it that Paul's talking about there. God in. God enters, God in, enthios, enthusiasm. That's a little aside. Is Christ in you? bit Switch off the you. Let's have a look what he says in the 2nd of Corinthians. And we, we'll spend a bit of time in there uh, later in the 2nd part. But let's just have a look now. 2nd of Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul is exhorting them to examine themselves in verse 5. Examine yourself. This is, this is exhortational material today for you, not your neighbour or your friends or your brothers or your sisters. It's for you. Examine yourselves, 13 verse 5, to see whether you are holding to your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? What did that mean? Obviously it was important because he says in verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. His only concern wasn't himself, it was to strengthen his brethren. What we pray for is your improvement. Do you pray for the improvement of all your brethren and sisters? Not just those here, but in all the ecclesias around, all in England, all worldwide. That was what he was doing. So, verse 10, I write this while I'm away from you, in order that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority which the Lord has given me. What for? Not destruction, building up, and not tearing down. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, He said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Any of us say that? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now go to Ephesians chapter 3, just to get a connection with this burning mission that Paul had. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 the whole section is actually from 14 to 19 Ephesians 3 verse 14 this is Paul praying on his knees incidentally there's all sorts of different uh, ways in which one can pray and conditions you don't very often see in scriptures to standing up to pray but you get lots of sitting down, lying down, being prostrate hands up in the air and all sorts of things but not many as we traditionally do it, but he now is bowing his knees, is in prayer to God, from whom every family, verse 15, in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And so to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Brilliant words. We cannot comprehend them. Well, if you can tell me afterwards fully. What about, for those who have got the science and engineering background, what about this multi-dimension, time doesn't come into this he talks about height and breadth and length but he talks about depth I think he's referring there to foundations, you can't live forward without remembering the foundations so I'm sure that's what he means incidentally about depth and finally then when he says in verse 19 to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that's amazing can we understand he continues look in Ephesians 4 and verse 13 verse 11 for connection verse 11 of Ephesians 4 his gifts were that some of you would be apostles, some prophets some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers we all know this is true don't we we've all got different abilities for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, not using it to break down and destroy, until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the fullness, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're no longer children. That is a a marvellous statement. And he continues, verse 14, Yeah, 14 for connection then with the next bit. So we're no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning of men, by their craftiness in deceitful wiles. Human nature can be terrible, can't it? And it's wreaked havoc in different areas of our community. Rather, he says, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him that is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body... Joined and knit together by every joint with which it's supplied, each part is working properly, makes bodily growth, and upbuilds itself in love. Not the sort of thing you decide in your own brain naturally, is it? But this is God's way. The building up of the body of Christ. Building up from and into the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do we get this new nature how is it renewed in ourselves what was Paul's advice to the church at Rome much quoted in our community well to anybody who uh, reads the Bible I think but particularly I've heard this many times Romans chapter 12 where the appeal goes out to everybody this ideal that's painted Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. End of verse 1 of 12. Holy, acceptable to God, your spiritual worship, the logical outcome of your knowledge. Do not, verse 2, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Transformed? Does that connect with anything? Metamorphosis? Transformed? by renewal of your mind. In other words, as Vine's dictionary says, to undergo a complete change that will, under the power of God, find expression in character and conduct. Something that I found years ago in the Way Ahead magazine, a nice little magazine if you haven't come across it. Um, The Carpenter's Tools had a conference Brother Hammer was in the chair. The meeting had informed him that he must leave because he was too noisy. He said, if I have to leave this carpenter shop, Brother Gimlet must go too. He's so insignificant that he makes very little impression. Well, a Gimlet was a little device for making holes in wood so he could then drill for those who are younger than me. Little Brother Gimlet stood up and said, all right, but Brother Screw must also go. You have to turn him round and around and again and again to get him anywhere. Brother Screw then said, If you wish, I will go, but Brother Plain must leave also. All his work is on the surface. There's no depth to it. To this Brother Plain replied, Well, Brother Rule will have to withdraw if I do, for he's always measuring other people as if he were the only one that was right. Brother Rule then complained against Brother Sandpaper. He's rougher than he ought to be and he's always rubbing people up the wrong way. In the midst of the discussion, the carpenter of Nazareth walked in. He'd come to perform his day's work. He put on his apron, went to the bench to make a table. He employed the screw, the gimlet, the sandpaper, the hammer, the plane, the saw and all the other tools. After the day's work was over, the table was finished. the carpenter left. Brother Saul saw, arose, and said, "Brethren, I perceive that all of us are needed by the carpenter." When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, let's have a look what he says in chapter 12 about helping to build up the body 1 Corinthians 12 there's a whole section there that deals with the body that incident there was obviously about the tools in the carpenter's workshop very clever but it's similar here with the body isn't it the body the um, body verse 12 is where it starts just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though uh, many are one body, so it is with Christ. If by one spirit we're all baptised into the one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves or free, all are made to drink of the one spirit. Verse 14, the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand I don't belong to the body, That would not make me any any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, and so it goes on. Verse 18, very good by the way to show uh, creation. God arranged, verse 18, the organs of the body, each one of them as he chose. Interesting uh, point that. You can't fit evolution into there. But verse 19, it gets ridiculous. If all were single organ, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body which seem to be weak are indispensable. We all know how true that is. And when we get to verse 27, to save time, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Isn't that true? You are the body of Christ. Let me just take the practical example of that. I've used this in Africa. Here we see... Here we see the body. I think you have to stand up. Can everybody see that? It's pretty obvious. It's got Dave Tanner written all over it, not it? Thank him for doing the original. And that is the body, and that is the Church of Christ. It's obvious what the head is. The head is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how a good body should be. But some, as Paul says, decide to cut the feet off. Some decide to cut a hand off, or even both hands. And so he's gone with the arms and the legs. And some are so foolish They cut themselves off from the head. Some of you have heard of Lane Rittmeyer, who came to this country 20 years ago and lived with us initially. He was brought to the truth in Christ through a man in Israel who was in a one-man fellowship. Can you imagine the ludicrousness of that? Somebody said, who's going to be at the kingdom? in the kingdom then? Is it just one fellowship? I'm sure you get the message. But that is what people do. I know it's a practical side of the body, but it is so important, isn't it? Is Christ in you? How do we develop the mind of Christ? Paul says, when he wrote to the Corinthians in verse 16 of this same chapter we're looking at. 1 Corinthians 2, sorry. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. What does he say to the brethren and sisters at Corinth? We have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, not 12. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ like? How was it developed? How was it formed? Was it instant? I think what we have to do is to look in a place that's very simple and very complex at the same time. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And here we have, everybody knows it, the temptation in the wilderness. Now as a young man, when I read this, I thought, well this is great. I thought, if I'm tempted in any way, all I've got to do is to quote scripture. And that's it. I've done. Finished. (laughs) Even some of the younger ones are laughing at that. That's what he did, didn't he? First temptation, Jesus answered, verse 4 of Luke 4. Quoting from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, man shall not live by bread alone. Temptation 2, all the kingdoms in a moment of time, obviously a miracle to visualise this. Bow down and worship me and it will all be yours. How did he reply? Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Third temptation, throw yourself down. Reply, It is written, verse 12, said Jesus, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Lovely. So if I know the whole Bible and have an answer to every question, an answer to every temptation, that's it. I've grown in Christ. It didn't take me long to find out how foolish that attitude was. I bet one or two of you felt perhaps like that. Because you can have a terrific knowledge and not understand much at all. What is the key? Well, if we follow the daily Bible reading, um, which I have gone through stages of following with my grandmother when I lived at her house, uh, doing the readings for every day, um, then I went, after six years of that, I went against it to picking what I wanted to read, but then I've come back to the conclusion that whatever else I read, I ought to make sure I do get daily readings because the mind grows by what it feeds on. If you feed your mind on rubbish, what does it do? Even if it is seemingly disconnected bits and bobs, it does have an effect and things can be called to the mind just at the right moment when you need them. And incidentally, if you do follow the Bible Companion, as it was called, it changed its name now, you read the life of Christ that many times in a year. No other plan does that. Interesting thought. But, reading Matthew 5 began to hit home as I matured. Matthew 5, we all know these probably backwards. The Sermon on the Mount, as it's known. The Beatitudes, somebody said the beautiful attitudes, but move on from the first bit in Matthew chapter 5. And look what Jesus started saying directly. He knew what the religious leaders were like. And he says, verse 21, You've heard it said by men of old, you shall not kill. Whoever kills should be liable to judgment. Exodus 20, that's based on. But I say to you, he's the son of God, that everyone who is angry with his brother should be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother should be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool should be liable to the hell of fire. That's difficult. How does anger develop? How do you stop it developing? And I can assure you it's possible Um Many years ago, I took the uh, police advanced driving course, and they taught me how to get rid of my anger. And it, it's self-control, and you can do it. You you can change your mind and your approach. That's a minor example, but look at the outcome of anger. We hear it all the time, don't we? On the radio, press, television, yeah. Murders. How do you get behind the action to the thought? It was even harder when I got to verse 27. I really began to grow up then. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hands up those who never have. It's very difficult, isn't it? And it's even more difficult when you get further down to verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I say to you, I say to you, I say to you, Jesus keeps saying all the way through, and we can look at lots of examples. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, and for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good he does both he sends the rain on the just and the unjust if you love those who love you what reward of you do not even the tax collectors do the same of course they do if you salute only your brethren what more are you doing than others do not even the Gentiles the same if you want to be complete perfect the word used in a lot of versions complete is the real meaning you must be complete as your heavenly father is complete perfect Now that, I suggest, is nearly impossible. Is your life governed by rules or principles? Can you slip that on again, David, please? The reason for emphasising this again, you'll see when we get to the practical bit later, if you want me to expand that, is is your life governed by man-made rules or God-given principles? And it's so easy to slip into the attitude, man-made rules and they can take over, particularly in an ecclesial life, particularly if you just uh, deal with just one ecclesia, things can get out of perspective so that what takes place on Sundays and other nights of the week can become an end in themselves, instead of operating the principles. Let's look before our break at John 14. John is an amazing gospel, isn't it? The way of presenting it is so, so different from the others, and he seems to get to spiritual depths, or should I say, spiritual heights, that others just do not come out with. Incidentally, uh, there are more books being written about John than any other book in the whole of the Bible. There are more people who have had a go at writing about John. Not many in our community, although that is increasing, I'm pleased to say. It just shows it's always fascinated people. But John 14, the Last Supper was over. Jesus had given the new commandment to them, or restating in fact of an old commandment, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you in chapter 13 this is that you also ought to love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. But look in 14 and verse 6 we're trying to find out about the mind of Christ where did he get it from? Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. Anybody I suggest, by the way, that concentrates on one part of that and says Jesus is the truth uh, and ignores the way and the life is completely up the creek. This has been one of the problems we've had in the mission field until about 10 years ago, as some of you know. We've concentrated such a lot on preach, preach, preach this, uh, you know, the truth as um, a system, right? And people have carried on living the same sort of life, even amalgamating some of their beliefs and way of life, you see, and not getting it clear. This is why recently booklets and courses have been written by the CBM to get them to realise that a change of life is needed. I am the way, the way, the way to walk, the truth in Christ Christ and the life in Christ. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now go quickly to verse uh, 13. This gives a very clear hint about the mind of Christ being in us. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Obviously, we've got the rider about according to God's will and so on. But this is what he is saying. This is Jesus who spent nights and nights and nights in prayer. He was, last supper was over, he was coming up to the crucifixion. He asked that it was to be removed from him, the suffering, and it wasn't, but he had an angel to strengthen him if you ask anything in my name, Jesus himself talking now, I will do it. What does he mean? If you love me and keep my commandments, verse you will keep my commandments, if you love me. And I will pray the Father, verse 16, he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and I and will be in you. I will not leave you desolate, talking about after the resurrection, talking about his return, talking about his coming back to the earth in the the form of the comforter and so on. But what I'm leading up to is verse 23. If a man loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That is an amazing statement, isn't it? We will come, we, not just Jesus, but we will come and make our home with him. And verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. But looking on the positive side, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. That completes the circle. The word that he spoke is from his father direct. When he was answering his temptations it was his father's word. But he understood the principles behind the thoughts behind the words as to what God wanted him to do. And that is another major aspect of the life of Christ. We know that It was said of the disciples, they couldn't do certain miracles in certain places because of their unbelief. In other words, they were restricted. They'd restricted themselves because they didn't ask. Let's hope we don't restrict ourselves because of our unbelief. And the practical aspects of that we'll look at in the second talk.